Welcome to Walking in Faith with Pastor Rob Currington. This podcast is dedicated to helping develop lifelong seekers of the Kingdom of God. Each week, Pastor Rob helps bring God's message for living to those seeking a richer and more Christ-filled life. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he shares this week's message. Morning. All right, well, happy Mother's Day. If you haven't figured it out yet, uh, you're in trouble, so you better make up for it. But because of that, I wanted to start off the sermon a little differently, because of course, we celebrate our mothers today, but Mother's Day is not a joyous occasion for all people. Mother's Day for me is not just to celebrate those with biological children, but mothers of all different types. So today, I wanted to start off by celebrating all the many different types of motherhood And I'd like to do that by reading a piece that was written by a woman to her pastor for Mother's Day. And as I read this this week, uh, it just really weighed heavy on my heart because I think it it spoke some truths that we often forget on Mother's Day. So I'd like to read it out loud for all the women in our congregation today. It says, to those who gave birth this year to their first child, we celebrate with you. To those who lost a child this year, we mourn with you. To those who are in the trenches with little ones every day and wear the badge of food stains, we appreciate you. To those who experience loss through miscarriage, failed adoptions, or running away, we mourn with you. To those who walk the hard path of infertility, fraught with pokes, prods, tears, and disappointment, we walk with you. Forgive us when we say foolish things. We don't mean to make this harder than it is. To those who are foster moms, mentor moms, and spiritual moms, we need you. To those who have warm and close relationships with your children, we celebrate with you. To those who have disappointment, heartache, and distance with your children, we sit with you. To those who lost their mothers this year, we grieve with you. To those who experienced abuse at the hands of your own mother, we acknowledge your experience. To those who lived through the driving tests, medical tests, and the overall testing of motherhood, we are better off for having you in our midst. To those who are single and long to be married and mothering your own children, we mourn that life has not turned out the way you longed for it to be. To those who step-parent, we walk with you on these complex paths. To those who envisioned lavishing love on grandchildren, yet that dream is not to be, we grieve with you. To those who will have emptier nests in the upcoming year, we grieve and rejoice with you. To those who place children up for adoption, we commend you for your selflessness and remember how you hold that child in your heart. And to those who are pregnant with new life, both expected and surprising, we anticipate with you. But overall, this Mother's Day, we walk with you because we all know that mothering is not for the faint of heart. And we have real warriors in our midst, so we remember you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for all the women here today and the mothering instincts that you have bestowed within all of them. We praise you for that this morning. And Father, we ask that you would speak to us today. As your children, we desire to hear from you. Speak to us through your word this morning to each one of us. I ask you for this this morning. Meet with us. I ask this in the name of Jesus, our King and our Savior. Amen. So today the sermon's going to be a little bit different. We're taking a break from Mark. Rob has asked me to prepare a Mother's Day sermon. That's the umbrella it had to fall under. So I was really open to kind of go with it where I wanted to. And in that, I just began seeking out, Lord, what would you have me say? You could go so many different directions with that. 
But as I began praying through it, just seeking the Lord on this, I really feel like he has some very specific things that he'd like me to communicate today through his word. I'm mean, Basically, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be going through a lot of scripture this morning, and I want to answer some questions. This isn't going to be a typical Mother's Day sermon, so if you've heard those before, you know, 10 ways to be a good mother or three ways that you could be a biblical mother or whatever it is, it's not going to be that. So don't tune out yet if that's what you're expecting. But basically what I want to look at is what does the Bible have to say about motherhood? Didn't Jesus say some crazy stuff about family and hating your moms or hating your family? I mean, what was that about? The Bible talks about God as father, but what about mother? There's some people out there now who are saying we should call God mother. Like, what's going on with that? These are the types of questions that I hope to answer. But in all this, really, there's one big idea, one main idea, the main point that I want to get across this morning that I think is vital to our view of God and vital to our Christian lives. And that's this, that of all of the outstanding character qualities we think of when we think of motherhood, those come from God's own character. Let me say that again. All of the outstanding character qualities, so all those amazing things we think of when we think of the perfect mother, all those things come from God's own character. Maybe a different way to say that would be when you picture that ideal picture of a mom, all those things that we think of, those flow out of who God is. So all those motherly qualities you think, they come from who he is. What does that mean? It means that when moms are at their best, they are mirroring the person, the character of God. The creator God in all his glorious majesty and holiness created mothers. And he created them not out of a vacuum. He created them to be just like they are, comforting, nurturing, and tender because he himself perfectly exhibits those qualities. They come from him, from who he is. Motherly care is a picture in the Bible of how God cares for us, his children. And that's the big idea this morning. That is what I hope to show us from Scripture this morning. And, and if you walk away with one thing, um, I hope I could add that to your view of God, the motherly care of God. Um, now, that being said, a couple of quick clarifications are in order. This is a sticky topic. Many people go wrong in many different ways when thinking about the motherly qualities of God. And you could go wrong by understanding this to mean that God should be called our mother. The Bible doesn't call God our mother. Not even once is a feminine title ever applied to God. But the Bible does use many feminine images or motherly images, word pictures to describe his character. So we have to be able to distinguish between those two things. Secondly, you could go wrong by thinking that God the Father is male. Well, that's understandable, but just because God has spoken of his Father doesn't make him male. Obviously, Jesus was a male. He was human, but God the Father is not a human. He's a spirit. He does not have a body. He does not have a gender. And so when God created them male and female, it was not as if the man was only created in his image and the woman was not. They both were created in the image of God. If we only think of masculinity when we think of God, we miss a very big part of God. Number three, you could go wrong by only focusing on the feminine pictures of God in Scripture. This is where you know, kind of these extreme feminist Christian type people go and they, we need to call God mother and we need to call God she and all this stuff. Again, the Bible does not go there. And if you only focus on the feminine pictures of God, you miss a large part of God. And number four, you could only focus on the masculine qualities of God. Again, if we do this, 
we miss a part of God. The majority of the word pictures and metaphors used in Scripture are masculine images, are male images. But they are by no means the only images we get of God, the only pictures we get to describe God. So to focus only on these is to misunderstand God. That being said, my hope and prayer this morning is that all of us would leave here today with a more complete and accurate view of who God is and a deeper appreciation for our own mothers. And again, I just would like to encourage the mothers here this morning, I think you have an edge on the main point of the sermon because you better than anyone can understand what motherly care is. So let's dig into Holy Scripture this morning. I'd like to give a few verses from the Bible that speak of the importance of motherhood and of respecting our mothers. Now, most of these apply to fathers as well, but since we're focusing on mothering aspects, we're going to focus on the mothering part of these verses. So this is kind of a quick overview of biblical principles for the appreciation of your mothers. So moms, this is for you, and let me be honest, this is some good ammo to throw at your children when they're not appreciating you. So here we go. The first thing is this, fools bring heartache to their mothers. Proverbs 10.1 says this, a wise son brings joy to his father, but a foolish son or daughter brings heartache to his mother. Fool brings heartache to their mother. If you want to be wise, love your mom well. Don't bring heartache to her. Number two is this, Proverbs 20.20. If you don't appreciate your mother, it will not go well with you. I don't even know what this verse means, but listen to this. Whoever curses his father or mother, his lamp will go out in deep darkness. I don't know exactly what it means for your lamp to be put out in utter darkness, but it's bad. That's the point. It's horrible. It's obviously a word picture. It doesn't literally mean your lamp, the electricity is going to cut out or something. But it means that when you're in your deepest darkness, your light's going to go out. Just because you've gone against your father and your mother. Love your mom well. Appreciate your mother. Don't curse her. Don't disobey her. Number three, to not be a blessing to your mother is to start on the path to pride. Proverbs 30, 11 through 14. Listen to this progression. There are those who curse their fathers and do not bless their mothers. Look what happens next. Then there are those who are clean in their own eyes, but are not washed of their filth. There are those, how lofty are their eyes, how high their eyelids lift. In other words, they are filled with pride. There are those whose teeth are swords, whose fangs are knives, to devour the poor from off the earth, the needy from among mankind. All that to say, the Bible takes mom seriously here. To not be a blessing to your mother, Proverbs author is saying here is, that's a prideful person. You can't appreciate your father, you can't appreciate your mother, you can't bless your mother. This is the progression you're on. Progression of pride, a destructive path to becoming a prideful person. One thing to notice as we go through these two is, never says anything about the mom. It never says anything about the mom being lovable, their mom being a great mom. It just says, this is what should do, this is what should happen. This is probably my favorite one, maybe the most grotesque one, I guess you could say. Number four, the person who is disobedient to their mom should have their eyes gouged. Proverbs 30, 17. As for the eye that ridicules a father and despises obedience to a mother, may ravens of the valley pluck it out and young vultures eat it. The eye that mocks a father and scorns to obey a mother will be picked out by the ravens of the valley and eaten by the vultures. I mean, I don't even know what to do with that, to be honest. That's really brutal. But it just takes it to the next level. If nothing else we need to understand from that, God is saying, the way you treat your parents is really important. Do you love your eyes? Do you love your sight? Do you like to be able to see things? 
then you should be obeying your parents, obeying your mother, loving your mother well, appreciating your mother. The Bible is very serious about these things. I mean, we look at these and laugh, but this is a violent and brutal image that is meant, I think, to jar us and go, whoa, what's going on here? It's a serious thing. And unless you just think this is an Old Testament thing, let's take a quick look at the New Testament. Number five, honoring your mother will make things go well for you. Ephesians 6, 1 through 3 says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Paul's quoting the Old Testament here. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you, that you may live long in the land. So the first commandment that has a promise attached to it is this commandment. I thought that was really interesting. And notice, so what's the promise, you may ask? Listen to what the promise is. It's a negative promise. What God's saying is, if you don't honor your fathers and mothers, I promise it will not go well with you. And you will not live long in the land. That's the promise. That's kind of how it's phrased. And so, what we see instantly in that Old Testament verse that Paul takes and applies to us today is that families are extremely important to God. He tells the Israelites right there, if you guys don't get your families together, if you're not honoring your fathers and mothers, that's it. You're out of the land. That commandment right there, if you can't obey this, you're out. And I think we've seen that on the stage of world history. We've seen societies reject families and reject motherhood and reject fatherhood. The society crumbles. It's a building block of society. So what we see is that mothers are extremely important to God, our father. I mean, good grief. The main title in scripture for God is our father. He applies that family language right to himself. I hope you see that. The most common way that believers address each other in the New Testament is brother, sister. The whole Bible is filled with family language. This flows from the character of God. I know we kind of look at some of these things and think they're a little extreme, you know, with the eyes being gouged out and all, but again, perhaps what we should see is the extreme seriousness and value God puts on parents, and specifically on mothers. Let's not forget that today. Let me just pause here and say that some of us, probably all of us, have failed at this. Have we not all failed our mothers at times? We have, of course, we have. None of us have lived up perfectly to these things. None of us. But our moms are the ones who accept us back first, aren't they? Aren't they usually the ones who love us no matter what? And I don't want to generalize here. I know not all of us have had great mothers. Even when we were foolish, though, disrespectful, annoying, or just plain disobedient, aren't moms the ones who love us first, even in the midst of that? Isn't that what a general idea of a good mother is? I think it is. I think it is. I think we're going to see that that flows out of the character of God. I mean, who else loves us in the midst of our sin, right? But did Jesus affirm this view of motherhood? If you know your New Testament well, you might be saying to yourself, didn't Jesus say something about hating your family, about hating your mom? That brings us to point number two. Why Jesus wants you to hate your mom. So go ahead and turn with me to Matthew 10, 34 through 39. Let me just say before I read this, let me ask you before we say this, ask yourself, does this fit into my picture of who Jesus is? Ask yourself this question as we read it. Jesus said, do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I've not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I've come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, 
and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. And he sums it all up by saying, whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Let me pause just by saying it. The fact that Jesus says, he says, I have come to bring peace to the earth. Notice that Jesus says, I have come to the earth. Just a little hint about that he came here on his own accord. These are important things to notice as we read scripture. He came here. None of us came here. We just were here one day. But Jesus has hard words here. Did he come to destroy families? I mean, it seems to be what he's saying, does it not? Came to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother? In Luke's account of this saying, Luke 14, 26, Jesus says that a person must hate his father, hate his mother in order to be his disciple. What's going on here? Is Jesus anti-family? Has Jesus not read Proverbs? Obviously he has. And obviously by saying what he says in these, these verses here, Jesus is assuming that within the family there will be strong bonds of love. What Jesus is saying here then is simple, that the Christian must love Jesus more than his or her family. The Christian must be someone who is more loyal to Jesus than to their own family. Sons, you must love Jesus more than your mother, than your father. He must be more precious to you than they are. Daughters, you must love Jesus more than your mother or your father. Parents, mothers, you must love Jesus more than your sons and daughters. Fathers, you must love Jesus more than your sons and daughters. You must be more loyal to him. He must be more precious to you. He makes no mistake here, and he doesn't mince his words. It's clear what he's saying. Anyone who is not willing to follow Jesus and to love him more is not worthy to follow him at all. And what's incredible about this, I think, is that Jesus says this in a culture that valued family a lot more than our culture. That would be a radical thing to say in our culture. In Jesus' culture, in first century Palestine, that's a hundred times more radical. A person's family was their life. They lived with their family in big houses. To break loyalty with your family was taboo. 100%. It did not happen. It was shameful. It brought shame on your family. It brought shame on you. It was to be disowned by your family. And in many cases, to forsake loyalty to your family was to forsake all your physical comfort. As many times, families provided for each other and lived together in homes. And so in the midst of this culture, that culture in first century Palestine, Jesus says, no, no, you can't value this stuff or these people more than me. I must be everything to you. Not that family, not physical comfort, not the American dream, not the first century Palestinian dream, whatever that might be. You must love me and want me more than these things. That's heavy. I mean, that's serious. And what's so encouraging about that, actually, is that when we look at Jesus' life, Jesus lived that. Jesus was rejected by his own family. They thought he was crazy, as we'll see in Mark they thought he was insane. They thought he was a loon. Most of us would probably think so too if we had a family member who's going around to claiming to be God, claiming to be the Messiah. They rejected him. They thought he was crazy. They go out, as we'll see in Mark, to come get him back. Oh, Jesus, come home. 
you're provoking quite a large uh, crowd here. Why don't you come back home and sit in a room, you know? But that brings us to an important question. Why? Why, why does Jesus say these things? Why does he ask these things? Why must we be willing to hate our families compared to how much we love Jesus? At least that's how my brain works. I want to know why. Why does Jesus ask this of us? Why is this necessary? Why must we love him most? And to be honest, I think there are many reasons. And really, a full explanation of this passage is beyond the scope of this sermon. One reason is he is worthy of everything we have. If anybody else said this, it'd be a joke. But not Jesus. Jesus is worth it. He is the treasure that is worth selling all you have and forsaking all family to get. He is worth it. But that's not the only answer that God gives us of why we must do these things. There is another. And this is what I want to emphasize this morning. What is one thing we all seek from our families? Specifically from our mothers. It's comfort. For most people, families are a place of comfort. Now there's pain there too because we're all sinners. But there's a lot of comfort that comes from a family. So when you hear Jesus say, and you must be willing to hate your family to come to me, you think, man, I'm forsaking one of the main sources of comfort. Forsaking comfort. We want to be comforted. It's not wrong. And that is why family relationships gone wrong can be so painful because they're supposed to be comforting. So when a relationship like that between a mother and child goes wrong that was meant to be nurturing and comforting and becomes a place of hurt, it can be devastating. And so we seek comfort in our families. And Jesus knows this. But he also knows something else and he reveals something else to us. That the comfort found in a mother-child relationship is a shadow. It's a picture. The comfort found between a mother and child, that bond of love, even scientists do studies on these things, and they can't describe it. There's a bond between a mother and a child that is so strong that they can see it in all their little diagrams and stuff, but they can't describe it. It's a physical reality. That bond of love is a picture of God's love towards his children. An imperfect picture, to be sure, but a beautiful picture, nevertheless. And that's one reason to follow Jesus, because God is the source of true and lasting comfort. And I say this all the time, and I'll say it here. Jesus never teaches us to deny ourselves without providing something better. You might have heard sermons on, you need to deny yourself, you need to take up your cross, you need to die to self. These are all true. But it's not just because Jesus says so, so do that. He says, I have something better. That's why you need to forsake these things. So when Jesus says, you need to be willing to forsake your family, it's not because he hates families. It's not because he wants you to be miserable. It's not because he wants you to not be comforted. It's because he has a better family. He has better comfort. He has lasting comfort. And so when Jesus asks us to love him more than our mothers, be willing to forgo the comfort that might come from that relationship, he provides something better, the comfort of God himself. And that brings us to our third point, that God exhibits all the best characteristics of motherhood towards his children. And that might strike some of you as odd. You may have never thought of motherly qualities coming from God. But as we go through some of these scriptures, I think you'll be convinced if you had to picture the perfect mother, what would she look like? Take a second to think about it. What qualities embody the perfect mother? What qualities would you look for? Would she be comforting? I think so. Tender, nurturing, able to protect, like a mother bear with her cubs. Willingness to sacrifice. 
Have you ever known anyone who sacrificed more than a mother for her children? So you may think of other qualities, but let me proclaim something right now. All these things are true of God. All those things, comforting, tenderness, nurturing, able to protect, willing to sacrifice, all the things you would think of in a perfect mother, those are things the Bible ascribes to God in his relationship towards us. That's the main point, the sermon. And this is important. We don't want to have imbalance in our view of God. He is holy, he is sovereign, he is king. Amen. But he's also comforting, tender, nurturing, able to protect, willing to sacrifice for us, for you. And this is why this is heavy on my heart this morning. This is why this message is important. Because I believe that there's some of you here today who don't believe these things about God. You may know them intellectually, you may not, but you don't believe them because they're hard to believe. I think there are some of you here today who focus so much on God being sovereign, transcendent, holy, that you view him as distant and cold, as a stern father off in heaven somewhere. I think you know what I'm talking about. You feel as if he's just kind of up there watching and and waiting for you to screw up. And when you do, he's just angry. Or maybe some of you think that God is sitting up there watching you go through hard times and just saying, suck it up. Quit whining. Get over it. Maybe it's because your dad was like this. I don't know. But God, our Heavenly Father, is not. And this is so important. All of us have places in our theology and how we think of God that are wrong. That's why we're here. That's why we learn. That's why we want to know God for who he really is. Let me tell you, and you'll be convinced, I'm sure of it, by the end of this morning, that God is not far off. God is not stern. God is not sitting up in heaven waiting for you to screw up. God is not sitting up in heaven saying, hey, suck it up. Get over it. Let's go. Quit whining. He's not. And what's crazy when I think about this is that sometimes we view God as less able to give grace and less understanding than our own parents, our own mothers. I guarantee you that God is more loving than your mother. God loves you more than your mother, more comforting than your mother, more graceful than your mother, more tender than your mother, more nurturing than your mother, more able to protect you than your mother, and willing to sacrifice much more than your mother. And some of you mothers here will hear that and knowing how much you're willing to do these things for your own kids go, oh my gosh. Because God is that times infinity for us. God's the one who invented those things. Those things flow out of the character of God. So mothers, hear that today as you think about God. Think of the way you think about your children. The good things. The things that are pure. Understand that God thinks of you that way times a million, way more. I want you to hear that this morning. And fathers, you can obviously understand that too. In the way that you love and care for your children, do you have that category for love for God? We understand grace. We know our parents will give us grace. But sometimes we forget that God is the God of grace. He's the source of all these things. So we've said a lot. And like always, don't take my word for it. Let's see what Scripture has to say about it. So we're going to look at a couple of Scriptures that give us some of these motherly images that are applied to God. Hear them this morning. And as you hear them again, say to yourself, does this fit in my picture of God? Does this image fit in my picture of God? First one I want to look at is Isaiah 40, 
1 through 2. It's God speaking. He says, Comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned. I forgive you, he says, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Comfort, he says, comfort my people. God is concerned for the comfort of his people. And he tells his prophet, speak tenderly. Speak tenderly to my people. Can you hear the love in his voice? Notice here that God is a comforter. He speaks comfort tenderly to his people after he has disciplined them for their sins. But as I read the scripture, this brings to my mind the picture of a mother who spanks her child out of necessity and love and then brings that crying child close to her and comforts that child in its pain. There's times when you have to discipline your child, even though you don't want to, you know it's for the good of your child. And yet, even in that child's pain that is brought on by their own sin, brought on by their own foolishness, you're there to comfort them, right? We get that same picture of God here. He says, they have received from my hand double for all their sins, so I've disciplined them, and now comfort, speak tenderly to them. Let me ask you, is this the God that you believe in? Is he not wonderful? In our pain, in our tears, God speaks comfort to us. God is our comforter. God comforts us, his people. And again, in Isaiah 49, 15, God says this, Can a woman forget her nursing child, that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. Listen to those words. Here God says, does a mother forget her nursing child? No. She would have compassion on them. Even if she does, even if that happens sometimes, we've all heard the horror stories, even if that happens sometimes, God says, never will I forget you. Never. God will not forget you. He will not abandon you. So I would encourage you, trust him this morning. Trust the God who comforts us, the God who does not forget. He doesn't forget your pain, and he doesn't forget you. Isaiah 66, speaking of the new Jerusalem, of the the end of the age, listen to these words. It says, For thus says the Lord, Behold, I will extend peace to her like a river, and the glory of the nations like an overflowing stream, and you shall nurse You shall be carried upon her hip and bounced upon her knees. Listen to these words. As one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you. You shall be comforted in Jerusalem. You shall see and your heart shall rejoice. Your bones shall flourish like the grass. And the hand of the Lord shall be known to his servants. And he shall show his indignation against his enemies. There we get an obvious and blatant statement by God in Scripture that I will comfort you like a mother comforts. He doesn't say like a father comforts. He says like a mother. Like a mother comforts her child. I will comfort you. That's how I will comfort you. Man, that's powerful. That's incredible. When we have those times in our lives that are hard, that are painful, God is saying, I know. But you are looking forward to a day, a time, a place where I will comfort you like a mother comforts a child. 
I will bring you in close to my bosom. And we're seeing that today. We feel the effects of that now. But that will ultimately be completely fulfilled. God specifically saying he will comfort his people like a mother comforts. What a sweet, sweet image. What a beautiful picture. This is a picture of that future day when all of God's people, from every tribe, nation, and tongue, all his children will live in his presence. In the new Jerusalem, he will comfort us like a mother comforts. Praise God. Is this not a God that's worth leaving everything for? Is this not a God who knows us deeply? If God didn't know us deeply, would he know that we need to hear this? Would he know that we need comfort? He knows. Like a perfect mother, our God knows exactly what we need, and he provides it himself. Would you hear that this morning? Would you take comfort in him, in this truth? Like a mother comforts, so I will comfort you. Again, this is not just an Old Testament thing. We see in the New Testament. 2 Corinthians 1, 3-7. through Listen to the words of the Apostle Paul to the Corinthians. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, so Paul's saying, if I'm afflicted, it's for your comfort and salvation. And if I'm comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Listen to this. Paul says, our hope for you is unshaken. For we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort our comfort that comes from God. That's incredible. Again, I'm not going to list Paul's sufferings, but they were substantial. Beaten, shipwrecked, rejected, all these things. And yet he says, God is the God of all comfort. If there's anyone I want to say that, it's someone who's been through the things that Paul has. I haven't been through those things. But Paul, being through those things, says, my God is the God of all comfort, the God of all mercy. I can trust that. He says he's the father of all mercies and all comfort. All, not just some. He's not just the father of some mercies. He's not just the father of some comfort. He's the God of all comfort. He comforts us in all affliction. God comforts us. So we can comfort others. Dear friends, hear that this morning. I may sound like a broken record. I don't care. God comforts us. God will comfort you. God has comforted others past Present and future, his mercy overflows to you. His comfort overflows to you. If you want that this morning, and yet you don't know it, if you don't feel that, pray for it this morning. Pray to him. Ask him for his comfort. Ask him for his mercy. Ask to feel that. He is faithful. Are you afflicted, troubled? God comforts. Like a mother comforts her children. God comforts. Believe that this morning. When you think of what God is like, think of him as one who comforts. Indeed, the God of all comfort. And then last and finally, I hope you've seen that we've kind of gone through the whole Old Testament all the way to the end of the New Testament. Revelation 21, 3-4. And I heard 
a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Here we see the culmination of all the motherly characteristics of God. He comforts by wiping away all of our tears. How many of us can remember a sweet time when our mom wiped away our tears? When you get that skin knee, whatever it may be, we're just crying. God, like a mother, wipes away all our tears, will wipe away all our tears. He protects us like a mother bear with her cubs. He sees death haunting us. He goes out and defeats death. And he sacrifices like a mother sacrifices. He gave his only son to accomplish these things. He sacrificed his only son for us. I'm not a father yet. I'm not a parent. I can't imagine that. So often we think of what it costs Jesus to sacrifice his life. What about what it costs his father? Not only was Jesus willing to give himself, his father was willing to give his son for our comfort, for our protection, for our good, and for our eternal salvation so that he could wipe away our tears, so that he could defeat death once and for all. How could you not love a God like this? How could you not trust him with your whole life? God who knows us deeply, knows us deeply enough to know that we need comfort, and then says, I will comfort you. A God who doesn't just say that, but gives us living pictures of comfort. How could you let the things of this world tempt you to walk away from this God? There's no place, no other person who can give us lasting comfort. There's no other place to find salvation. There's no other place but God, our comforter, our protector, our savior, our nurturer. Let us praise him this morning for who he is. He is worthy of our praise. He is worthy of our lives, and he is worthy of all of our loyalty and love. And so this morning, I want to leave you with one last scripture, Psalm 131. A psalm of David. Now this is complete speculation, but I think he wrote this towards the end of his life. At the height of his immaturity, of his faith. He describes the relationship between himself and God like this. It's being a weaned child with its mother. Calm. He's been through hard things. A weaned child is one who's been weaned off his mother's milk. He's, been, he's felt the lack of provision from his mother, from his own eyes. And yet he's come back and trusts that his mother is one who provides. That's how David describes himself with God. He's content to be a child in the arms of the Lord. Psalm 131 says this, O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. We could apply that to ourselves today. Oh, church, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Let's pray. Father, thank you. We can't even express our thanks in words, God, our gratitude. That not only are you our sovereign, not only are you our king, not only are you our father, not only are you a great warrior, not only are you all-powerful and all-knowing, 
but you're a comforter. You're a comforter. You comfort us. You're tender with us. You nurture us. You beckon us to yourself. You hold us close to yourself, God. You give us life. Father, we praise you for that. Father, I pray over everyone here this morning, would you help us to believe that, God? You know we struggle believing that. You know each and every person here. You know their heart deeply. You know where they need comfort, Father. You know how they need comfort. Lord, I pray, would you provide that? Would you provide that in whatever way they need? Would you provide that, God? Would you give us the faith to believe that one day we will experience the fullness of that comfort in your presence directly? Before that time, let us walk in this world, trust in you, and praise you for that, God. Let us walk in that truth and faith. Father, we love you. We can only pray this because you were willing to sacrifice your one and only son. And with every head bowed and every eye closed, I would just invite you into a time of meditation this morning. Where is your picture of God lacking this morning? What is the Holy Spirit speaking to you? Do you need to see God as a comforter? Do you need his comfort? Maybe you need to place yourself in his arms this morning for the first time. Maybe you've never thought of him this way. Maybe you haven't even trusted him as Savior. I don't know where you're at. But the God of all comfort knows where you're at. Go to him in prayer this morning. We pray in his name. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Email us at walkinginfaith at orangevilla.org. You can help us spread this podcast by writing a review at iTunes. And don't forget to visit us online at orangevilla.org. There you will find more information about our ministry, as well as share your thoughts, submit prayer requests, and find out how you can help others to grow in God's love. Until next week, may God bless you in everything you do.